We are honored uh, today to welcome to the pulpit uh, Anna Kumar, Dr. Anna Kumar, who uh, is a ruling elder here at Christian Fellowship. Uh, he's been members uh, since 2001, about 10 years ago. He met his bride, Sanadi. Uh, Anna is originally from Sri Lanka. Uh, and uh, he owns his, uh, and is the director of his company, uh, Landa Z Technologies, uh, which uh, he's an inventor of MRI equipment uh, that's portable, and uh, he's not going to talk about that. Ananda <laughs> uh, is also a, uh, a, a seminary student, and he is presently working on his uh, Master's of Divinity at the Tubman Theological Seminary. Uh, he is involved with businesses, missions, he heads our missions committee, he's doing many different things, but uh, today we are blessed that he can bring us the word of God. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? It's a, it's a privilege to be here and to share my word with you this morning. Today we come to the final chapter of the letter to Colossians by Paul. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, read God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Titus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. And, a, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that he may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as best demons. Give my greetings to the brothers, to the brothers in Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, and also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to our keepers, see that, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I call write these meetings with my own hand. Remember my chance. Grace be with you. All having completed in the previous section, focusing on the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, and how much concern he has for the Colossians to be rooted, uh, rooted and built up in Christ, understanding the full scope of their redemption, and having given practical instructions for Christian living. Now he starts this final section in Colossians, and he asks the Colossians to pray for him. The main concern for Paul in this section is the spread and the clear proclamation of the gospel. Four times Paul refers to Christ and the gospel as mystery or the mystery in this letter. Then Paul goes on to give instruction to the believers how should live among the outsiders, those outside the Christian community. The title of my sermon today, The Mystery Becomes Reality. From this passage, I want us to see why Paul calls the gospel or Jesus Christ the mystery. Second, how it becomes an open secret. What is the outcome? Thirdly, what is the outcome of this mystery? First, why Paul calls the gospel the mystery? I said four times Paul mentions the word mystery. For the fourth time, Paul, here in Colossians 4, 3 through 4, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us the door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Have you ever gone up on a mountain and seen the view below? This is a picture taken on my recent trip to Sri Lanka, here in the hill country of Sri Lanka. Hope you can see it. And we were able to see the, whole, the entire hill country of Sri Lanka, which I thought I couldn't see, but I, we were able to. The task for me here today is to show you the hill country of the gospel in its beauty, so that we are excited about it, so that we can share the gospel message out. I know it's a challenging task, so pray with me and bear with me. I want to give two reasons why Paul calls the gospel mystery. First, it is a revelation. Mystery hidden for ages, now revealed. Second, it is the union of Christ with his people, both individually and corporately, as Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. In Colossians 1.26, Paul says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Implying that it is written about Christ in the word of God, was like a hidden treasure, but now discovered. In order to understand what Paul is saying, we need to look at the man himself. Paul is now in prison for the sake of Christ and for his gospel. Before he was uh, converted on the road to Damascus, he was called Saul. He was a Pharisee, comes from the line of Benjamin, studied under a man called Gamaliel, a doctor of theology, in the Hilaire School, which is comparable to the modern-day Harvard Divinity or Westminster Seminary. Saul knew his Bible 
the scriptures that this man was the Old Testament. Yet he did not know God. The triune God, we know him as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Particularly Saul had no understanding about all about the identity of Christ. For Saul, the Pharisaic Jew, God becoming man in the incarnation was an aberration to his Judean faith. That was a blasphemy. Saul, this ex expert in the law, had no clue that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe, the lawgiver, the ultimate Moses who will lead the people of Israel into the promised land, as we sang in these songs a few minutes ago. Saul had no thought about Jesus, who would be the perfect priest who would intercede for us. Saul did not see Jesus as the flawless king, unlike the kings of Israel. Saul couldn't fathom that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant, the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Instead, Saul was raging with anger and murderous threat against Christians. We read in Acts 9, Saul had his encounter with Jesus. Saul was blinded by it. He had to be taken into the city by hand. Three days later, we read a disciple by the name Ananias was instructed what to do with Saul. And Ananias lays hands on Saul and he prays for him. And something like scales fell from his eyes and the Spirit of God filled Saul. Says, immediately he starts proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. The mystery is now revealed to the saints. The gospel is a revelation. Now we come to the second reason why Paul calls this an open secret. In Colossians 1.27 we read, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The message translation reads like this. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time. But now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery is, in a nutshell, is Christ in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Last week we heard from Pastor Craig the future glory we have in Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, our triune God sends Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We are united both individually and corporately as Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. See, in Ephesians 3.6, Paul says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are indeed privileged to see the beauty of the body of Christ in its diversity at Christian fellowship. It's one of the privileges of being part of this church that I have appreciated for a long time. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is uniting people from different races, nationalities, and languages in the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of God, people from different backgrounds are united through Christ, not by vote or referendum. You may wonder why Paul caused this mystery, and you may think that there's some kind of mysticism. But theologians say Paul is contrasting the gospel of Jesus Christ with Greek mystery religions and Jewish mysticism when he repeatedly uses the word mystery. Why is Paul differentiating the gospel from Greek mystery religions and Jewish mysticism? Though they are related, mystery and mysticism are slightly different things. Let me try to explain. Mystery means a secret religious truth that can, know, that can only be known by revelation, a second definition, or by a certain elite class of people who have access to this knowledge through some form of initiation, joining the club, so to speak, practice of asceticism and legalism. Paul's emphasis here that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a profound truth that has to be revealed. That means we cannot figure this out through our rationality. It's not a self-made religion. Greek mystery religions and philosophies boasted in their superior wisdom. Second, what is mysticism? Mysticism is, has to do with connection between divine and man. Jewish mysticism is taught only to the elites, those who have mastered the Talmud and the Torah. It involves experiencing dreams and visions, undergoing self-denial and harsh treatment of the body. Paul says, Christ is supreme to all and sufficient for us. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is God's mystery, and we are united to him. Paul expresses this union with Christ in different ways. Pastor Stan, a couple of weeks ago, said, We are to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. That's the series we are looking at. We have been buried with Him in His baptism. We have been died, we have been died with Him to the elementary principles of the world. And we have been raised with Him, made alive with Him in His resurrection. As, as we saw last week, our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. Let's get some clarity on what we mean by this oneness, participation, and union and communion we are talking about. John Murray says, This brings us to know this union with Christ is spiritual because it is a spiritual relationship that is in you. It's not the kind of union that we have in Godhead. Three persons in one God. It's not the kind of union we have in man. Body and soul constituting a human being. It's not simply the union of feeling, affection, understanding, mind, heart, will, and purpose. Here we have union which we are unable to define specifically. But it is union of an intensely spiritual character consonant, consonant with the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit. So that in a real way, 
surpassing our power of analysis, Christ dwells in his people, and his people dwell in him. So what type of mysticism are prevalent in our culture today? Listen to what Adolf Deichmann, a German theologian, says about egocentric mysticism and theocentric mysticism. Deichmann says, egocentric mysticism affirmed union with the divine, oneness with God, loss of human personality, transformation into the deity, aesthetic intoxication and denial of personality. On the other hand, theocentric mysticism affirmed communion rather than oneness with God, the sanctification of personality, confirmation of human towards divine, the ethical, ethical enthusiasm and personality. Egocentric mysticism did not respect boundary between God and man, but rather sought to merge one into the other. The word ego indicates it's a private individualistic, not for the benefit of others. At the 1992 Olympic Games press conference, Michael Jordan was embarrassed by being asked if he were a god. Time magazine noted, if Michael Jordan is god, then Phil Knight put him in heaven. <laughs> Phil Knight is the co-founder of Nike. Commercialization and and the information age has created several demigods in our world today. Whether they are athletes, movie stars, pop musicians, corporate billionaires, scientists, and pundits of our time, all of these demigods have devotees. They are idol following. Who are we idolizing in our lives? Are we seeking identity apart from Christ and his people? Brothers and sisters, what we have in the gospel is Christ becoming one of us, humbling himself as a man in search of sinners, without renouncing his divinity. We are united to this Christ through faith that is in some sense rather hard to define as John Murray says. It points out that it, he points out that it is mediated by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul compares this union to that of marriage between man and woman in Ephesians 5 and says it's a profound mystery. In John 15, Christ himself says and compares it to an agricultural image of vine and the branches of his people abiding in him. Another biological image of the body, human body, as the body of Christ with Christ being the head and his people, Jews and Gentiles, united to be united together is another image we have in Corinthians. You know in the Bible it says that we are created to be in communion with God. But because of the sin of Adam, we, we become spiritually dead. And the communion with God is broken. And you know very well God sends his son to rescue and redeem us. And Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again for our new life. We read in the scriptures, through the Spirit, we are born again. And God gives us faith in Christ for our salvation. 
we are united with Christ in an intense spiritual union through the Spirit of God as man and woman is united in marriage. Secondly, just as the branches are united, united together with the vine, we need to be united with Christ in order to bear fruit in this life. Thirdly, just as our hands, legs, eyes, nose, and the rest of the organs are joined together in a mind-boggling intimacy with the head, we are joined together with Christ, who is the head of the body of Christ, which is the church. We become legal participants of whatever happened to Christ. That's why Paul says, we died with him in, this, in his baptism. We were raised alive with him in his resurrection. Through this union, we are reconciled to God and considered blameless. This is our legal status in Christ. This new life we began through the spiritual union with Christ can only flourish and flesh out as long as we continue to abide in Christ individually and corporately in the body of Christ. I want to borrow one of the most helpful analogies that explain what it means to be in Christ. Three weeks ago, me and my wife returned from Sri Lanka back to the States. And we, by the way, we brought our mother-in-law with us. She's somewhere here. We came on Hatha Airways and our layover is in Hatha, Doha. We, we were waiting there to be switched to another plane. And we were waiting at the gate, and the plane was waiting at 8.30 a.m. outside in the gate. And my question to you is, what is the relationship that we need to have with the plane in order to get to Dallas, Washington, D.C.? Would it help us to be under the plane? Would it help us to be inspired by the plane? Watch number of planes take off, and hope one day that we will do that too. What about following the plane, just down the road to Washington, D.C., and check along its path with our little legs as fast as we could? Of course, the relationship we need to have with the brain is not under, not behind it, nor being inspired by it, but in the plane. We need to be in the plane in order to get to Washington, D.C. Because by being in the plane, Whatever happens to the plane, happens to us. Did we get to Washington, D.C. on June 5th? Yes, otherwise you wouldn't be seen. <laughs> See, in the New Testament idea of being united with Christ is like this. That being united with Christ means that whatever is true for Jesus is true for us as people. Application. Do we know this God personally and saving as we should? Are you in Christ or are you just near Him? Do we just know about God? Are we like Saul who knew a lot about God without really knowing Him and staying there and resisting Him? If we are in Christ, we are reconciled to God. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert these souls. The soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no never, no never forsake. Let's move on to the second point. How is this mystery revealed? 
three ways I want to say first. First is the ministry of persevering prayer. Second, it's the ministry of proclamation. Thirdly, it's wise living towards outsiders in the world. Paul says in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us the door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may declare it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul is asking the believers to partner with him in praying for him, so that God may open the doors to proclaim the gospel. Paul is, in Paul is in prison for the very reason that he has been proclaiming the gospel. Literally, the doors would open for Paul if he stopped preaching. But Paul is no turncoat for the gospel. He asked the church to pray for opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed clearly and boldly. The gospel is for all people. Therefore, it needs to be proclaimed publicly and lived out. Second, it is a revelation of a profound truth that needs to be clearly declared. One of the Bible commentators says, It is in a prayerless church the enemy can do his best work of destruction. Paul asked them to pray with watchfulness and thanksgiving, watching the world around us and for its needs. Watching out against the dangers of the enemy. Watching upward for the coming of the Lord, who will restore and renew all things. Thanksgiving is a necessary companion to persevering prayer. One fuels the other. Application here. Shall we commit to pray for the preachers in this pulpit and elsewhere? Shall we also pray for our brothers and sisters who are now in prison for proclaiming the gospel in places where it is, where its persecution is clear? It is through persevering prayer a church can launch and sustain its gospel ministry. Paul goes on to say, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought how you ought to answer each person. After having invited Colossians to, to pray for him to get involved in the ministry of prayer, Paul encouraged them to get involved in the ministry to outreach towards outsiders. outsiders. It is indeed a kind of ministry of the word, but it is to do with mostly to do with wise living, wise conversation, listening, and giving our time to make the best use of our time. That we may be able to answer people who have questions about our faith. Church research project predicts in the year 2015, it was predicted seven years ago, more than 85% of Marylanders will not be attending their church on any given Sunday. Majority of the people we meet in the street, at restaurants, college campuses, and in shopping malls are not going to come into our churches. How are we going to create an environment for the people to the Paul wants us to watch the way we speak. Gracious and salty conversations mean that our exchanges with unbelievers should be non-pandemic, meaningful, should, be, should bring the best in us and them. You know, salt is used to 
bring the flavor out of the food, but also to preserve the food. So our conversation should be interesting, inviting and engaging, rather than criticizing, complaining, arrogant, obnoxious. Then, when we answer them the questions they have, they will be conditioned to listen and respond. Anglican pastor theologian Richard Lucas says, we don't have watertight arguments and answers to all the questions people have. But in Christ, we have a watertight person. In order to communicate Christ with unbelievers, we need to earn their eyes. I grew up in Sri Lanka and I went to an Anglican school, high school, and there I got interested in Christianity through the witness of my friend Cedric. You know, as teenage boys during the free time, this is what we do. We uh, get together in circles and listen to stories and jokes. And most of the time, these jokes are cool and harassing content. And uh, I noticed that Cedric would never participate or indulge in these jokes and these circles. And Cedric was, at the same time, he would never condemn us or avoid us for being part of that. But he was, he was a studious student, gracious and polite. There is something about his witness that I really wanted to be like him. And I found out that Cedric was a believer. He prayed and read his Bible. And um, this time, when I returned to Sri Lanka, I met Cedric after 20 years. And I told him how he influenced me to become a Christian. And Cedric was humble and he said, around the same time he became a Christian himself. He said he watched other Protestant Christians in the, in the boarding school read their Bibles in their study time and he was motivated to read the scriptures. And he decided to read a, read a chapter a day and God started speaking to him and he became a Christian. So we proclaim the gospel, this open secret, not by not only by preaching from the pulpit, but that is direct evangelism, but also the way we converse with people and how we engage with them, how hospitable are with our neighbors, how we talk to our co-workers, classmates, employers, and employees. That is called responsive evangelism. We go to work not to evangelize people. We go to work to work. But by conducting ourselves wisely, making the best use of our time, we can invite others to hear the gospel. As my friend Cedric welcomed me to this morning. Finally, I come here. What is the outcome of this mystery? The outcome of the mystery is the body of Christ, expressed in its diversity. And it is the way it multiplies. We see this in this section, this greeting section. Although you can think usually you know when you read the Bible, but it is a very rich portion where we can see three local churches are mentioned. Paul is dealing with Colossae, that's where he's writing the letter to. And he's talking about the church in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Note also there are three different people groups: the believers from the Jewish background, believers from Gentile background, and a woman, Nympha who's probably, um, in her house, a church man, she's probably a leader. Do we see the way gospel is expressing itself? There is diversity and multiplication in the body of Christ. 
There is a former slave called Onesimus. There is a man called Mark, who is the cousin of Barnabas, who conflicted with Paul in the past. There is restoration, reconciliation, and equality in their body. There are a lot of take-home messages from this section, but we are so privileged to see, as I, again I say, people from various backgrounds entering into engaging in gospel ministry at Faith Christian Fellowship. How about we share our resources in planting churches like a like study church? So in summary, we saw why, how, what and the mystery of the gospel. Why it is a revelation, first and foremost. Second, it is the union of Christ with his people in the body of Christ. How? It is the ministry of the persevering prayer and the ministry of the proclamation is fulfilled ministry. Thirdly, it's wise living towards outsiders. What? The body of Christ expresses itself because of this gospel in diversity and multi-parts. The gospel becomes reality. My wife and I are big fans of mystery movies and uh, TV series. We watch whatever time we get uh, mystery series in TV. One of them is called the 48 hour mystery that comes on Saturday nights. And we we never miss it. We try to see all the time. In the thriller, we're trying to find out who is the culprit of the crime. Usually this show ends with a courtroom drama. The culprit is brought before the judge or jury. And uh, there is this defense and prosecution brings the evidences. And sparring with each other, they try to prove their case. The gospel mystery we have is that we have been talking about becomes reality personally in our lives in a similar environment. As we realize the real culprit, we ourselves, the judge who is God, comes down in Christ as our advocate. And the advocate further goes and takes up the blame on himself and he goes to die on our behalf on my behalf, on your behalf. Then the gospel message that I'm talking about, that we have been hearing, becomes real. And it becomes sweet. How about we get the right system? Is this open secret real Is it sweet If so, let us leave this out so that others may come to know. Let's pray with you. Father God, we thank you for the revelation of the gospel of Christ. God, we, we struggle to understand the union that we have with Christ. But it is a profound mystery, a union that only we can understand through images and analogies. Yet, Lord, it is real. Lord, the Spirit of God that can give us makes it real and makes us flesh out this gospel in our lives. We thank you, God, for the for sending us your Son and the Spirit so that we can live out this gospel. Help us to be a community, individuals united in you through Christ. We pray that you will manifest yourself to us as a church in Baltimore and the rest of the world. In Jesus' name. Thank you.